Amen. Remain standing if able, please. Let's give our full attention to the reading and preaching of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word given to us from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Hear now the word of God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through that word and by the power of your Holy Spirit who reigns and dwells within us even as we are going to hear now. So come, Holy Spirit, and seal this truth to our minds. Speak through our pastor, we pray, to give us this understanding, this promise. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I confess a funny story. I was getting my socks out this morning, and I saw that list that Lisa used in the welcome sitting on the dresser, and I was like, is this a hint to me? Do I have to, like, welcome her better? Have I been falling down? So I, I had no idea what she was doing with that. Thought it was some covert marriage advice for me, which I'm sure is needed. How fast could you run a mile? Yeah, some of you are like, what, a mile? <laughs> Only if a bear is chasing me. This uh, past week, some of you probably saw uh, Eliud Kipchoge, uh, a Kenyan who broke the holy grail of marathon running when he ran 26.2 miles in just under two hours. It was an hour, 59 and 40 seconds. That is, if you do the math, four minutes and 33 seconds per mile for 26.2 miles. Now, this is an amazing feat, uh, but Kipchoge didn't do it alone. Uh, he had a, a team of folks that helped him. He had Nike behind him, of course, the conqueror, uh, Nike uh, helped design his shoes. They had a couple uh, carbon soles to them along with some padding that kind of uh, helped with some spring and, and some cushion along the way, uh, so much so that marathon officials are wanting to outlaw these shoes. I'm not exactly sure that they were actually doing anything, but uh, that was the case. He also, uh, they had a span, they were in Vienna, they had a span of nine or ten days in which they were waiting for the perfect weather conditions in order for this to happen. Uh, and they obviously chose their day, 48 degrees at race time. That was uh, what he wanted to do. He had a team of 40 pace setters uh, in this race uh, who uh, alternated. And these are Olympic medalists and, and just the best in the world who formed like a V in front of him with two guys behind him. I think it was seven per team, and they just sort of rotated out, and they kept up the pace. And then he also had a car 
uh, that traveled in front of them and, and shot a, a green laser uh, on the ground, and that was ensuring that their pace, they didn't have to check their watches, people that would ride up on bikes in order to give them water so that you don't have to slow down, the course that they selected was relatively flat. So he broke the Holy Grail, it was somewhat of a, a contrived setting, but it's, I mean, amazing nonetheless. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking 26.2 miles, 4.33 seconds or, or minutes per mile. That's, that's just incredible. I could never do that. Some ways I think that's the kind of pace uh, that, that God has invited us to in the Christian life. And, and we think we could never do that. We could never you know, complete the marathon, let alone break the holy grail of marathon running in our life because we struggle. We struggle with our sin. We talked about that last week and, and how the gospel brings no condemnation as we struggle with our heart issues, guilt, shame, all of those different things. We struggle with our bodies. Uh, we struggle with decay and breakdown and we struggle with sickness and all of these different things. Eventually, we're going to die. We struggle with the, the forces of evil that are allied against us. And uh, we, we, we struggle in all of these areas. We, we could never complete the marathon, let alone run the race. But here is the good news. And, and this was a truth that the Reformation, uh, some 500 plus years ago, uh, recovered in many respects for the church. I mean, oftentimes when we come to Reformation, some of you are familiar with the five solas that kind of go along with the Reformation. And these weren't, they weren't shouting these things around. They didn't have banners made up with these solas. Uh, these are things that we have come to recognize, characterize uh, the Reformation. Sola fide, uh, by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, sola Christus, by Christ alone, sola scriptura, the word of God alone, and soli deo gloria, to God be the glory alone. But there is a sixth sola, and uh, Sinclair Ferguson and others point this out, kind of the forgotten watchword of the Reformation, and that is the title of your sermon this morning, solus spiritus, by the Spirit alone. John Calvin is famously called, John Calvin, who is one of the fathers of, of Reformation theology, is famously called the, the theologian of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't often think about that when we think of Reformed theology and Presbyterianism. You know, we have the, the Babylon Bee who, who says that uh, motion-activated lights go off in Presbyterian services. Uh, so uninspired are we by the Holy Spirit? And of course, that's not true. Uh, it, it's the Holy Spirit who came to the fore through Reformation teaching. Uh, and, and I want to show you this morning from Romans chapter 8 uh, that, that why this is true. Because here's the deal. You have more than a team of Nike. You have more than the pace setters of Olympic champions. You have more than carbon-plated shoes that are going to help you finish the race that you are called on. You have the very presence of the Spirit 
of God living and abiding in you if indeed you belong to Christ. And that's what Paul is wanting us to understand here. We're in this great chapter. We are on top of Mount Everest, as it were, and we are looking out. And last week we said there is no condemnation. Why? Because Christ has finished the work, and it is applied to us. And so we recognize, we see our frailties, <coughs> we see our struggles, but what defines us is Christ's finished work, not what we do. The good that we do, the evil that we do, those are the things that they don't define us. We are defined solely by Christ's finished work that he has applied to us. We are in Christ, and we, we saw that back in chapter one or verse 1 of chapter 8, but we also have Christ in us. We see that here in verse 9. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So this is the, the first point here, the presence of the Spirit of God for the life of the believer the fact that Christ dwells in you. That's the point uh, at, at the end of verse 9 where he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of, of God, of Christ, does not belong to him. Uh, he's using a, a negative statement here to make a positive point. And that's, that's his, his aim, is to make a positive point. Now, of course, it's true. Uh, if we don't belong to Christ, we don't have the spirit but the converse is what he's trying to say. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit, period. That is the point. And we recognize that this is an important point to make because, you know, there, there are theologies that go around. There are understandings that say, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not yet a Spirit-filled Christian. You know, I have to wait for that time when I become a spirit-filled Christian, or I have to strive after and seek to achieve becoming a spirit-filled Christian. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If you belong to Christ, you have the spirit, period. You have that entire team that is helping you run the marathon. You have all of the technological advances. You have the perfect weather conditions. You have everything that you need to complete the race. You have everything that you need to, to achieve the holy grail, as it were, of marathon running. And, and note here what Paul says about the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God, verse 9, the Spirit of Christ, also a little bit later on in verse 9. Uh, this is important because we understand a little bit about the person of the Holy Spirit as we look at this. You know, the Spirit can be equally identified as the Spirit of God, which we understand uh, comes out of the Father. The Spirit of Christ, we understand, you know, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So here we're, we're told that the Spirit, you know, this, this great mystery that is the Trinity proceeds from, and you'll recognize some of you, the uh, the um, the creeds, you know, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And we would look at a verse like this, verse 9, to say this is how we understand that. So when we have, when we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit, 
He is the spirit of the Father, the spirit of the Son. We are invited into, this is amazing, you're invited into the life of the Trinity. And the Trinity itself, as it were, takes up residence in you. That's absolutely mind-blowing. Do you understand, do we understand, can we understand the power that is ours, the, the promise that is ours, the hope that is ours, as we face all of the things that we face uh, over and over again in the life of discipleship as we seek to follow after. Remember, Paul is struggling with these, with these things. Romans 7, the good that I would do, I don't do. The evil that I would not do, these are the things that I find myself doing. So how do I live in the face of this struggle? You know, I live reminding myself that there is no condemnation, that Christ has finished the work, and I live reminding myself that I am in the Spirit, that I belong, that the Spirit is in me. If, in fact, I belong to Christ, you have the Spirit, period. You have all of the resources of the universe. You have all of the resources of the Trinity uh, at our, our beck and call, at, uh, you know, in us. It's, it's just a tremendous, tremendous promise a tremendous comfort to us. Oftentimes in the New Testament, we see it in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, Corinthians. The Spirit is called the seal uh, of God's promises to us. It, he is the one, the Spirit is the one that seals to us the reality uh, of what God has done for us. Martin Bucer, who was uh, a Swiss uh, reformer, spent time with, uh, with Calvin, he says, what is the chief work of the Holy Spirit in you, in his catechism? He answers the question this way, he assures me absolutely of the promises of a gracious God, so that from my heart and with a truly childlike confidence, I can recognize and call on God as my Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can say, Abba, dear Father, Therefore, Paul calls him the seal of the elect with whom God seals them and marks them for eternal life. That's your fact for today. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit who seals to you all of the benefits of Christ, all of the finished work of Christ, all of the power to live a life uh, that reflects this finished work of Christ in us. And that's the second point here. What, what is the power that the Spirit brings to us? Well, you see it in, in verse 11, um, and, and we have hints of it in, in verse 10. He says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what's, what's the power that the spirit promises? It's, it's the resurrection power. It's the resurrection power. The spirit was at work on that Easter morning, uh, taking the, the dead body of Christ 
uh, and, and working life into his mortal body, into his immortal body, and he raised it from death to life. And what Paul is saying here, that is the power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that is the power that is within you. That is incredible power. That's power we haven't harnessed yet. You know, we've, we've harnessed a lot of power, but we cannot create life. I mean, we can create the conditions that cause life to come into, but we can't create life. And this is what Paul is saying. This spirit can bring dead things to life, dead, dead, not just brain dead. You know, this is dead, 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 dead. And he brings, he brings this dead thing to life. And that is the power that is within us. Uh, what a promise. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a purchase for us that we have that power in our life. Now, you say, okay, help me, help me think through that. What does that look like in, in my life? What does... What is my, my team, you know, how does that help me as I'm running, running my marathon? Well, think about some of the things that Paul talks about. I mean, he talks about bringing life to our mortal bodies. Well, what does that mean? Because we're all going to die and, you know, we're facing the, the difficulties of uh, bodily, bodily decay, breakdown, all of those things. True. However, uh, we know that that's not our final state. We know that the body that is sown corruptible will be raised incorruptible. We know that, that this life is not the end. And, and this is a tremendous, tremendous comfort to us. It is a tremendous uh, joy to us as, as we run the race because if I, if I see the finish line as my mortal body, I'm going to give up. I, I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to cash out. I'm going to check it in. I'm, I'm going to quit. But what, what we're told is that this is not the end. I mean, this is, you know, coming up to the start line. And, and once we pass out of our mortal bodies, we actually begin a lifetime with the Lord, our immortal bodies forever, physical bodies. I mean, the promise of the resurrection is that Jesus wasn't raised a spirit. He was raised a man. He ate fish. You could touch him. He wasn't a ghost. Uh, and, and this is the promise that God is bringing all things new to this world and it extends you know, beyond even our physical bodies to the physical world. A new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the old ha have passed away. They've been burned away like, like chaff and what remains is the good stuff and the, the kings of the earth are bringing their glory into the kingdom and there's just such promise here of our lives, our mortal bodies not being the end but once that chapter is over, it's the beginning. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it at the last battle as he you know, writes about the whole history of Narnia and you know, King Edmund and Lucy and, you know, right on down to all of, all of the, the children and, and kings who have taken their place. And he says, all that has come before, this is at the end of the last battle, they go into Aslan's country, all of which has come before has merely been the prologue and now the first chapter. 
And, and that's the promise that we have here. Uh, so we have that promise. We have the promise not only in terms of death and life, but we have the promise in terms of sin. I mean, we've talked about that last week, right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law, spirit of life is righteousness to us. We have that here again emphasized in this passage, uh, verse 10, uh, the, the spirit of life because of righteousness. And so we take comfort. <coughs> Sorry, I have something. <coughs> there we go. We take comfort because, you know, we struggle. We talked about this last week. We, we struggle day by day. So it's not only with our mortality, but it's with our, our sinful tendencies and, and the remaining battle that we are doing against sin. But what we're told is that it's conquered. And we have the spirit of life, of righteousness in us. And so we lean into that spirit. We apply it to the places where we feel condemnation, where we experience shame. And we live in the righteousness. And of course, this all means that the devil is defeated. If death is defeated, if sin is defeated, then the devil is defeated. Uh, and, and of course, that's what Paul promises us in Colossians, that the cross you know, made final embarrassment of Satan and all of his minions. And the resurrection, the spirit who raised res uh, Jesus from the dead promises that this is the case. And so the devil who, you know, we make two mistakes. You've heard me say this with regards to the devil. On the one hand, uh, we don't think about him enough. You have an enemy, you know, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And we need to be aware of that. But on the other hand, we give him too much power. Uh, you know, the devil made me do it. We kind of live that idea that we, we can't resist him. And, and what we're told here is that he is defeated. And you have the spirit of life and righteousness in you, which means you have the power. Young people, hear me. And it's not just young people, but I think of young people. You know, so many temptations. Uh, you have the power because you belong to Christ through the Spirit to resist and flee the temptations of the devil. Uh, the, the Spirit that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. These are the promises that we hold on to. This is the power that is ours through the Holy Spirit. So how do we, how do we, how do we live out of this? How do we... Um, lean into it, acquire it. You know, I, I think about that word acquire. Paul talks about a couple of other places, and these are passages that I would commend to you. Um, you know, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. You know, we, we think about that passage a lot, and it seems very much like something we do. Put on then the armor of God, and we think about, you know, strapping ourselves on, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, feet shod with the, uh, with the peace of God, you know, all of these things. But the very last thing of, of that section is praying in the Spirit. You see, it's not something that we have to acquire, this armor of God. It's not something that is out there and we don't have. 
but it's something that we live into as we lean into the reality of the Holy Spirit that we have. It's a guarantee. If you are in Christ, you belong to the Spirit. Therefore, you have the armor of God. And so we live life with that. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. It's not like somehow you're a Christian, now I've got to get that stuff. No. You have it. The same thing really is true in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul is talking about, you know, that famous prayer. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, this, the prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom everything in heaven on earth is, is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may, be grant, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Uh, this is what Paul is saying. This is my prayer. It is that you may connect to, you may access. Last week we used the, word, the, the phrase, you may set your mind on the things of the spirit. So again, what, they are, what Paul is not saying, what, what Christ is not trying to communicate to us is, is that the spirit is somehow outside of us. And we have to, you know, somehow conjure up uh, enough effort, enough focus, enough whatever, in order that we might gain the spiritual blessings. The reality is the Spirit is in us with all of the armor of God, with all of the strength, with all of the power that we need in order to to run this record-breaking marathon that is all in us. What Paul is saying is, be who you are. You know, be who you are. Have, you know, check, check into the power that is within you. What we do so often, it would be like Eliud Chipkogi. He's got all of this resources, and he puts on a pair of old, you know, canvas converse. And, and then he, he goes and picks the hilliest course on uh, a 90-degree day. And instead of taking Olympic pace setters, he takes, you know, Don Levy. (laughs) But that's the way we live our lives. You know, we we have all of the resources of the Spirit. We we have the shoes. We have the we have the course. We have we have everything. And what Paul is saying is, be who you are you know now how do we access it of course we access it through the means of grace things like the word of god prayer uh we access it through corporate worship we access it through uh, um you know through deeds of service we access it through fellowship and accountability with one another but there's a distinction here and it's subtle these things are not means to an end if I do all of these things, and if I do more of these things, I'll have more of this. These, these things are rather saying, I, I have this. This now is how I tap into it and live out of it. Do you see the distinction there? It, it's, hard to, it's hard to distinguish because, of course, pray. Read your Bible. If you don't do these things, you're not going to expect to, you know, to have that you know, the, the sense of that flow. 
but reading your Bible more isn't going to get you more of the Spirit. I, I don't know if I can say that as clearly as I want to say it, but I hope that in some ways it's connecting to you. Let me, let me see if I can put it a different way. As we live the Christian life, our, our invitation is to, is to be who God has made us to be. And, and we get off course. You know, we put on our, our canvas converse. We, we run off the place where, where there is the power. We, we get off course in so many ways. So how do we get back on course? You know, how is it that we access the power of the Spirit? And this is, this is where repentance is, is just so key. You know, immediately when we recognize that we're off course, the invitation is, is to go to God and say, I did it again. You know, I, I'm, I'm back off course. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, and I am, I am turning again to you. This is why faith and repentance, again, two of the watchwords of the Reformation, are, are, this, are two sides of the same coin. You know, so when we, when we experience life going in a, in a, in a bogged-down direction, we, we turn back with faith and repentance. So here's how one writer puts it. He says, God never says that we have to log more hours focusing on the things of the spirit than on the things of the flesh. So it's not about logging hours. It's not, the ratio between these two is never specified. Instead, when we realize that we are focusing on the things of the flesh, which happens all the time in our life, the self-centered, we're going to do it ourselves, self-effort, self-aggrandizement, all of those different things. When we realize we are focusing on the things of the flesh, we have the opportunity as God's children immediately to change our focus to the things of the Spirit. Instead, we sit fretting, and this is oftentimes the case for Christians, we sit fretting about how little we've focused on God lately. We prolong the time walking uh, in the time spent walking in the flesh. Instead, we should quit worrying about how long or how deep our latest excursion into the flesh has been and immediately reestablish fellowship with our waiting Father through the Holy Spirit. Do you see the, the beauty here? You don't have to. It's not about how much you do in these spiritual disciplines. But the spiritual disciplines are given to us to access what Christ has already done and is complete and is flowing in you. If you belong to Christ, then you have the Spirit with all of its fullness in order that you may run the race. And this is how we see the heart of such a loving father, John Calvin uh, says this, and again, you, you hear just the beauty of the Holy Spirit in the Reformation. The knowledge of divine love toward us is instilled into our hearts by the Spirit of God. It's diffused, he said, throughout us. And this word diffused is very emphatic, for it means that the revelation of divine love towards us is so abounding that it fills our hearts and being thus spread through every part of them, it not only mitigates sorrow in adversities, but also, like a sweet seasoning, renders tribulations to even be loved by us. 
You know, how is it that we can keep up this pace, run 433 miles for 26 miles? How is it that we can continue following God, even in the midst of tribulations, which we are all undergoing? Whether they're tribulations of our flesh, tribulations of our heart, whether they're temptations that are come upon us by the devil, how is it that we can do it? Because the Spirit is testifying for the love, uh, to the love of God for you as his child. Your Abba loves you, and that is diffused throughout you, and that is what Paul prays for the Ephesians, that by the power of the Spirit would reveal to you the love of God. Listen to how he says it. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, this is such, such a beautiful, beautiful place to be and to live out our lives day by day. And my prayer is that you would know this. As believers, this is the reality that we live in. May your feet fly in your carbon-plated shoes. Uh, may it be a dream, all the foam cushioning beneath your feet as you walk through what might be some of the hardest tests of your life. And if you're not a believer, uh, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you have to reckon with what Paul says. I mean, Paul says if you have this, you know, if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit in you. But there is an alternate reality that you don't belong to Christ. Uh, and, and that's a very sobering thought. You know, as much as we like for there to be gray areas in life, when it comes to belonging to Christ, it's very binary. Either you do or you don't. Uh, either you're pregnant or you're not. I mean, there, there's no in-between with regards to these things. And, but I hope you see that we come to a loving Father who is just, but has taken that justice on His Son and, and stands offering to you the goodness of life. And this is what the Reformation was all about. You know, that it's, it's, it's you coming before God. You don't have to go through the church. You don't have to go through indulgences. You don't have to go through any of that stuff. The invitation for all of us is to come to a Father who loves us, a Son who died for us, and the Spirit who lives within us. Father, as we move away from these couple verses, we pray that our hearts would truly be strengthened uh, by, by what it is that you capture here and how it is uh, that you help us you give us hope in these lives that we live. It, it's so difficult sometimes. We feel like we're about to keel over. We don't know where the nourishment is coming. Our equipment is wearing out. But Father, you refresh our souls even this morning uh, that we belong to you, that we are in you, you are in us. Spirit is our, is our team that helps us as we navigate. We pray that you would help us to be people that when we find ourselves off track, as we inevitably do, we would return immediately uh, with repentance, but also with faith, trusting that 
You have finished the work that we cannot add to it, we cannot take away from it. That it is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And may our hearts sing. And Father, our, our, our greatest desire is that those who are outside struggling along, running in their own strength, would find their way to the greatest race team that ever existed. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.